Welcome back. Yes, I am still involved in Laser Focus podcast after the hiatus last week. Uh, we got a big time guest today. Super excited. This guy's going to drop some straight fire into the mic. He's a high passion performance coach, speaker, philanthropist. But more than anything, I think uh, there's two things I really appreciate about this guy that I, you know, we've gotten to know a little bit over the last month is one, he, yeah, he gives you the strategies, tactics, but beyond that, he, he kind of gives you the actual steps, processes in human behavior, what he's an expert in. And then number two, I mean, he, he's got a very unique story, but his story has not stopped yet. He's constantly evolving. He's constantly growing. Brian Bogert, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast uh, and, and welcome to the show. How you doing? Man, I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you two gents for a little bit. So happy to be here. Let's go. Let's go. Well, thank you again for your time. And I think it's the, the timing is kind of immaculate, really, because obviously here we're, we're trying to figure out what the formula is for high achievers and how they consistently achieve laser focus. And now that we've done a couple of these, had a few guests, there's been a consistent message between a few of them uh, regarding two things really along awareness, right? They're aware of their authentic self, who they are, and they don't break that for anyone. And two, they, they have a purpose. They have a passion that they're very clear on and no better person than you to talk about helping people find their passion, right? That, that's what you do every day. So maybe we could kind of just start there. Like how do our listeners, how do the folks at home kind of figure out what that passion is or, or purpose, if you will, because I think a lot of people die one day and they never know really what it was or, or what they were meant to be on earth for. Yeah. So I, I think it's a great question. I'm going to start with awareness and then we'll, we'll kind of bring it full circle. Uh, I definitely think that, that self-awareness is critical to any high performer. And when you look at it through the lens of what we know, our minds process 11 million bits of information per second, but we're only consciously aware of about 40. Mm. So what that suggests really is that we're largely led by the unconscious, mm -hmm. right? So until we go through some systematic approach to move the unconscious to the conscious, the unaware to the aware, it's going to feel like life is happening to us, like it's fate, like we have no influence or control over our destinies. And I haven't asked a single person on this planet, by the way, who's who, the question, hey, do you desire to have more influence or control in your life or over your <laughs> destiny that hasn't raised their hand? How about you guys? We'll take a poll right now. Do either one of you want more? Yeah, great. Say. So that's, that's what it comes down to. Like we have to start with awareness because what we're unaware of, we can't be intentional with. Period. End of story. Mm -hmm. um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news as well, but I'm also going to say, I don't think that everybody, in fact, I think a very small percentage of people can actually align their purpose and their passion with their mm. profession. Mm, no doubt. And I don't think they have to be the same, okay? Now I am one of those small percentage of people where I truly believe my reason for existence, my purpose, as well as my passion for helping other people has all aligned in this really beautiful place. But that's not always the case for everybody. So let's just start with that expectation. Stop forcing that because that's always gonna set you up for failure and everybody's always gonna be like, well, I can't live my purpose or I can't live my passion. Well, no, you can. Your profession can be a vehicle for allowing you to fulfill your purpose and your passion. Mm. Yeah. Touch on that a little bit more. So you, I'm mean, going to, I want to, I'm, I'm going to give one more thought and okay. then I promise okay, I, okay. I, will, I will give that Joe. All right. But how do we find purpose and passion? 
I think it's about being really, really clear on who we are. What's most important to us? So many of us chase the what first. What house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success? All based on external definitions of success, by the way. And we lose the who in the process. So it's no wonder that we have midlife crises happening left and right. People making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures, waking up one day and they're miserable because they've had external success focusing on strategy and tactics, but what they've lost is who they are. I don't think you can find your passion and your purpose until you know who you are. And I think in a lot of cases, once you know who you are, it's not about finding your passion and your purpose, your passion and your purpose find you. Mm -hmm. That's my belief, but it's got to start with that intrinsic journey to really make sure that we understand who we are. That's what we've lost. To answer your question, Joe, how do people do that? How do they make that profession be a vehicle to fund their purpose and their passion? What I mean by a vehicle is use your profession as the opportunity to give you the resources, the time, the money to be able to fund what your purpose and passion might be. So for a lot of people, their purpose and their passion literally might be their family. Okay, well, then your job and your, your purpose and your passion can't necessarily align. But if you recognize life, work-life balance does not exist, it's about work-life integration, then your profession gets to fund and fuel your purpose and your passion. Your passion might be surfing. That's a hobby. You want to go do that and you want to teach other people how to do it. You might be able to turn that into a business someday. But what if your business was actually what helped fund your purpose and your passion or your nonprofit work or your church or whatever the case may be. Purpose and passion do not always have to be profession. In fact, I think a small percentage of people can align it. So I don't mean to be other bad news there. I just think that's a fact. And then when I said the work-life balance versus integration, that's where it starts to come into play. Because once you know who you are, once you know what's most important to you, once you know who's most important to you, your passion and your purpose can find you, then you can build your life of intentional alignment so that it becomes self-regulating over time. You know what fits and what doesn't. Joe, you want, Joe, you want to go or, because I just see you chomping at the bits of well, talk. Yeah, no, I man, have... I'm just digesting all this. This is, this is my jam, man. I think alignment is something that I've been chasing in my life. And I think everybody, like you said, is chasing, but to hear that, you know, Sometimes you may not find it within the all scales or all areas of your life. I think it's refreshing to hear because, you know, that's not uh, uh, like realistic for everybody, but between passion and purpose, what, what, uh, how do you like define the difference of those? Cause I think some people say that, you know, purpose is, is kind of like the authentic self and who you're meant to be and passion may be, you know, you're passionate about football, surfing, whatever. So I guess, how do you differentiate Yeah, so I think you that? summarized that pretty well. I think sometimes they can be one and the same. I, I think most times they are different. Um, but purpose might not just be the reason for existing on this planet. It might be truly what impact do I want to leave outside mm -hmm. of maybe why I was put here. You know, that gets into a much more abstract and philosophic thought process, religion, spirituality, all the above. But right, purpose, you know, I genuinely believe that I'm living in my purpose. And I'm also fulfilling in my purpose, meaning I am doing everything I possibly can to leave an impact on the lives based on the skill sets, gifts that have been put into me, also based on the experiences that have refined my ability to communicate and connect with people, right? So I'm living in my purpose, which means I also believe I'm living the reason why I'm here on the planet, but it's also what I've intellectually and emotionally decided is my purpose for existence, right? And so it's not always that clear and defined, but I think purpose is ultimately, again, based on religion, spirituality, universal connection, whatever. Some people believe that you're put here for a reason. Some people never find that. Other people define their reason. 
I think purpose can be one or either. Yeah, well, you can't, you definitely can't sit around and just wait for it to kind of just hit you over the head. No, yeah, you yeah, put, yeah. Totally. And 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 I and I think that's kind of where I want to go with my question. With let's say you're, you know, I'm 26, Joey's 25. You're working your your nine to five. Something's not clicking, and you just feel like a piece of you of that what you consider your purpose is dying every day, and you don't know how to take that step. Does it start with okay? I have to write these things down. It, you know, is it a visualization tactic? Like what is the way to just feel like to get yourself out of the mud to start? Because I think that's where a lot of people, I know when I was in college, the hardest part for me doing a, a research paper was getting started. And with a lot of things, it's always just, it's just getting to the gym. It's those types of things. How do you get started? Yeah. So, you know, if I, if I had a silver bullet answer for every single person on the planet that hit, I think more people would be coming to us for help than we know what to do with. So, yeah. Uh, but, but, but I will tell you that <laughs> Uh, the reality of it is, again, I think it goes back to the, who are you, right? Like mm -hmm. if you know something's out of alignment, have you spent the time to understand what's out of alignment? Sure. If you feel like something's not working for you or you're stuck, like, are you willing to put in the work or are you just going to remain there and wait for some magical thing to land in your lap? Mm -hmm. Right. The reality of it is, again, if you don't want to feel like you're a victim or like life is faith, then you've got to take active control over the things that you can control. So what you can control in a scenario like that, if you're feeling stuck or something's out of alignment, right? Uh, in your business and you're 26 years old and you're working, you're like, man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not fulfilling my purpose. I'm not doing these things. Have you put in the work to ask the right questions on your own intrinsic journey, right? Do you know what genuinely makes you your most authentic self, mm. right? What are the things that make you happy, that leave you energized, that give you excitement, that make eight hours pass by in one, right? It feel like one Lazy versus focus. the other side of it, which is like, what are the things, people and sources that go into your world that drain your energy, leave you feeling depleted, leave you feeling like it's, it's, you're not here, unappreciated, unworthy, right? Or like those in your world don't really see that. I think that's one first place to start. It's like, we know what the difference is in those two things. So if you're feeling this negativity, now you've got to seek where is it coming from if you don't already know the answer, right? So am I feeling unworthy at work? Okay, well, am I in a toxic shame-based environment? How do I like lead into that? Where has shame played a role in my life historically? Right. I think what's often and you said in the beginning when you introduced me, Joe, is like so many people think they're stuck or they're feeling this rub because they have the wrong strategy tactics in their life. Strategy and tactics only get you so far. They're super important. So I never mean to minimize that. But I will tell you that most people aren't stuck because of strategy and tactics. They're stuck because of some combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns and environmental conditioning that keeps them in that self-defeating path swirling the drain. Mm -hmm. And so until you move those into a place of conscious awareness so that you understand where and how have I been shaped by the world? Where and how I've been shaped by emotional triggers, behavioral patterns? And where do I start to be able to identify how those things bubble up in my day-to-day -day life? And how do I pause in those moments and choose a different intentional path? You're just going to remain stuck. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just saying take action right out of the gate, but take action on the internal journey, the intrinsic questions, because all the answers are within you. You just need to find them. Right. And, and just to add to that, Joe, I see, I see you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, man. So I just, I think it's asking the question, but somebody might just ask that question. And Joey and I are both sales guys. You can't just ask one question and then just sit back and wait for the answer. Right. You have to keep drilling down deeper and deeper and yeah. deeper. It's like, okay, I'm stuck at my 26 year old job. Why? Okay. Why do I feel stuck? Well, I'm not pursuing the things that I like. Well, what are those things that you like? And then just keep drilling down, 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 down. No, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And I think it kind of comes down to, you, you talked about, you know, the, the, the cognitive conditioning. Um, you know, I'm reading uh, John Asaroff's book, uh, mm -hmm. In Inner Size, if you've read that one. And 
I mean, the self-talk, right? It, it can beat you up. It can tear you down. That's it huge. can pick you up. I mean, it's huge, right? And Joey and I are, are the first to call ourselves out. We're overly critical of ourselves, right? And sometimes that can be positive. Other times it can really bring you down way low. So I yeah. guess starting with the self-talk, you've asked the questions, how do you change the dialogue of that self-talk to kind of start working in your favor rather than, cause I'm talking, if you're in a dark place, cause it can get dark, especially during COVID yeah. and all these things when the external factors are, are contributing as well. Yeah. So I think it gets down to asking the right questions. I yep. think that, you know, the misnomer with self-awareness is that becoming more self-aware just fixes the problem. And it doesn't always. In fact, there's been research that's shown this. Dr. Tasha Yurik has actually outlined this in some of her research and studies. And in fact, there's a lot of people who raise their level of self-awareness, but all they've done is raise their level of awareness around all the ways they should be judging themselves. Well said. Right? Because they're asking the wrong questions, right? So you even started with it. It's like, why this? Why that? Why this? Right? So let's play this out for a second, right? All these why questions. Why did my dad prefer my sister? Why did I get passed up for the job? Why did my friends not invite me out? Why, 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 right? Why keeps you circling the drain? Because what it does is it keeps you going never ending question of whys. Sure. So at some point you've got to ask the why just enough to get the information to understand the root. But beyond that, you've got to know when to stop and shift the question from why to what. Mm. What do I do differently next time so that my dad actually starts to prefer me? What can I do to prepare myself to not get passed up for the promotion and put myself in a better position to get that? What and how I interact with these friends might put them in a position to not be inviting me. And what and how can I control the way I show up to make sure that I'm invited in the times that I want to be? It's a completely different thought process, right? What is future focused and objective? Why keeps you swirling that drain? So ask why up until a point and then ask, what can I do about it? Beautiful. Right. One of the things I learned early in life is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. It's because... I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me or why things have happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. Mm. Right. So with my crazy story, which we haven't even talked about, we may not, and that's okay. We'll, we'll let you guys figure out where and how we want to take it. But the point is, is like, we've got to recognize, like if we live in this world today, nobody gets through life unscathed. Nobody. It is a guarantee that we will be knocked on our asses and we are the ones who have to stand ourselves back up, right? We can feel sorry for, for ourselves. We can ask, well, why, 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 why? Or we can say, what could I do differently next time? What did I learn from this experience that I can apply to future situations? What and how can I make sure this pattern doesn't repeat in my life? What are the steps I can take to take back control of my own toxic shame so that I can understand what those triggers look like so that I'm not trapped by it? Mm -hmm. Is that helpful? It's super helpful because I think if you just play the why game, it's like that five-year-old game when they're like, why is the sky blue? Yeah, well, 50 questions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too, the, the why like focuses on things that you can't really control versus the what is, 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 you know, what you that's can 100%. control. And so, so that's the, that's the way to shift the internal dialogue. Take back control. Simple language shift. That's awesome. Uh, I guess perfect transition. You kind of opened the door there, but Let's talk about your story. I mean, obviously it's hyper unique. I think we can kind of just let you take the mic here and kind of tell your story about how it brought you up and shifted or kind of cemented the mindset and the guy that we see today. Yeah. And then by the way, you guys have talked about that mindset and the recipe for high performers. So if I don't weave it into this section, which I likely won't make sure to we, that we come back to that. Cause that is one thing I want to make sure we hit on is the difference between mindset and the right formula 
to actually reach peak performance. Um, Cause I, I, I have a probably pretty unique way of looking at that based on my own life experience. I'm gonna ask both of you and anybody who's listening to this, unless you're driving to close your eyes for just one minute. I want you to imagine going to a store, getting everything you need, having a successful shopping trip, having a really smooth checkout. You didn't have to wait at all. You go outside, you look up, the sun hits your skin, you feel the warmth and you start walking to your car with a smile on your face, thinking you're going on with your day and the rest of your life, no issue, just a normal shopping trip. You approach your car, you start to unlock the door, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. So I was the first one in the car. This was back in the days, though, where we didn't have key fobs, right? So my mom and brother, three, four feet behind me, I had to wait for them to catch up and actually have her stick the key in the door, turn it so we could get on with our way. And as I'm standing there, a truck pulls up in front of the store, and the driver and middle passenger get out. Passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do. He scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up onto the steering wheel, up onto the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time to react. Now we were in an end spot. So he goes up onto the median, goes up onto the tree in the median, hits our car, knocks me down, runs over me diagonally, tears my spleen, leaves a tire track scar on my stomach and continues on to completely sever my left arm from my body. Wow. So there I am laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother just watched this whole thing happen. They look up and they see my arm laying 10 feet away from me in the parking lot. Fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw the whole thing happen. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place and she saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And she rushed immediately into action, which I'm forever grateful for because she could have just said, I'm gonna go on with my day. Instead, she came over and she put the her hands on the main wound, stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life. And then she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, get my arm on ice within minutes. Had she not done one or both of those things, Joe and Tom, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the facts. And I know your listeners probably weren't expecting it to go there today, right? I've got a pretty unique story. Uh, but what I've realized in all my time of doing this is that we all have unique stories. So what's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from our stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. We also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. So two primary lessons that have guided a large part of my life. One of them I already shared with you, but I'll repeat it again. I learned not to get stuck by what had happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And the second, I didn't realize until far later, because it's 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, right? Although I was the one having the surgeries done, although I was the one that was going through all the procedures for physical and occupational therapy, I was also being guided through the process. So I was in a fog, but my parents were not. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of therapy. And the idea of seeing their son grow up with the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether it was intentional or not, what they did was ingrain in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And when this is done correctly, I believe that's also where we gain freedom. So it's these two concepts that I've used to not only overcome this unique injury, but how my business partners and I scaled our last business to 15 million within the span of a decade, 
And now how as a human behavior and performance coach, we flip that on its head to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like the people listening, become more aware, more intentional and who they already are, their most authentic selves. You see, I believe that's when magic happens and the door starts to crack the perspective, motivation and direction. And that's also when people can allow joy, freedom and fulfillment to start entering into their lives holistically. And so it's these reasons that we're on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2045. Because if we can reduce the level of suffering on this planet, allow joy, freedom, and fulfillment to enter in holistically into people's lives, that means they're going to be able to be confident and convicted to stand on their own feet as who they are, knowing that the world's not only going to accept them, but will appreciate them for who they are instead of who the world told them to be. And when we do this, that's where vulnerability and authenticity, which are the two pieces of glue that binds human connection, start to come into the forefront. And we can leave this world a lot more beautiful place for my kids and my grandkids. Wow. I mean, it's a lot to take in there. And I think, I, I mean, the, the, my follow-up question is just like, what, how, how old were you when this happened? I was seven. Seven. Wow. So growing up, I can imagine it, it may have been difficult to fit in. I mean, I, I, we all have gone through grade school and how brutal everybody can be. I'm, I'm sure we, we've been on the other end of giving those jokes out too. Um, did you have that mind? I mean, we're already kind of going to get into their laser focus and mindset and the switch, but did you have kind of that idea already that, Hey, I've already been through so much. What, what if I could make this all work for me? Like, did you already have that in your mindset? Or did you have to build that yourself? No, I, I mean, that got built. I, the thing that was pretty immediate was I didn't want to be the center of attention and I didn't sure. want to be the victim and I didn't want to be placed in any box or limited in any way based on how others viewed my situation through their lens of what they'd be capable of. Mm -hmm. And so very early on, I, I, I knew that I was going to break beyond boundaries and whatever and however I lived life. And yeah, man, I was, I was teased. I mean, I had lots of friends too. So it's not like I had a horrible childhood, right. um, but yeah, I was teased. I was, I was different in every room I went into. I stood out. I've always had to learn how to do things differently. Um, and by the way, that's, that's no different today. I'm still uh, one of a kind in lots of rooms I walk into. There's not too many people who've had a limb uh, detached and reattached successfully to be able to use it for functional use, right? Like it's just, I'm, I'm a, I have a very unique isolated story. And so um, absolutely. I will tell you that the mindset that served me well was I created an external narrative. Yep. And an internal one, by the way. But the external narrative was, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm capable, I can do anything, and I don't need anybody's help. Mm -hmm. It served me really well for a long time. Really, really well for a long time. Uh, because, you know, honing your mental toughness and your mental acuity and your ability to mentally focus on something is critical in life. Okay? And so it allowed me to overcome a lot of these obstacles. It allowed me to break these barriers. It allowed me to break beyond boundaries. It allowed me to really just live life and do things at a high level. And I felt very good about that. Fast forward till when I was 20 and I was snowboarding and I went down and rebroke my left arm in the same spot it came off at. And it was hanging by my side for 10 months because seven surgeons refused to operate on me because of the medical malpractice because of the complications of my situation. It didn't heal. They tried all these alternative therapies. And uh, I will tell you that that was one of the most difficult and painful periods of my life for a couple of reasons. But one of the most powerful reasons is that I realized the power of our narratives. I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of family. Nobody was there. And I'm not even upset about that because it wasn't their fault. It was mine. 
they bought into my external narrative, right? They just assumed that Brian's good. Brian's strong. He's capable. He doesn't need our help. So they didn't, they didn't show up. And in the time that I was most vulnerable, I also didn't have the courage to actually ask for help. So that started to shift my lens into this idea of understanding human connection, right? Human connection, again, really is based in vulnerability and authenticity. And so that's where I focus that whole next period of my life. Fast forward a little bit more, early 30s, I get hit with another health issue. I just had crazy brain fog, crazy fatigue, couldn't figure it out. It rattled my identity. And it really, I'm good now. I mean, we finally found it after a couple of years of searching with the needle in its haystack type scenario. But what started to happen is I started to feel in a way that I never really understood, right? So I'm, I'm laying with my daughter, we're playing, we're having a great time. We lay down on the couch, she puts her arm around my neck and she kisses me on the cheek and says, daddy, I love you. And I just broke down in tears. And it made me realize in that moment that I'd never really experienced joy like that before. And if I haven't experienced joy like that before, I certainly haven't experienced pain, fear, despair, anxiety, stress in its full extent either. And I started to realize I've been living inside this box. So my wife who told me for 14 years that, that I don't feel anything. And I would argue and be like, no, no, I feel a lot. What are you talking about? Right now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, maybe she, maybe she was right. Like maybe I, maybe I haven't been feeling. And then I started to realize that when I shut off physical pain, just for pure survival and coping, I also shut off emotional pain. And then I also started to realize that, oh, by the way, human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. And so I think there's really two equations to peak performance, at least the way that I see it. And I'll tell you what my old equations were and I'll tell you where they've evolved, okay? My old equation was mental toughness over everything. Mm. If you set your mind to it, you will do it, you will accomplish it and you will, by the way, get to the next level. And there's a lot of truth to that. It hasn't completely changed, okay? I'll tell you on that one, how it's evolved I genuinely believe that those that reach the highest level of performance are the ones that understand intellectual and emotional narratives. They understand the mind body connection and they understand how to regulate between the two. This allows them to think about their thinking, feel their feelings, think about their feelings and feel their thinking in a way that they understand the complete box. It's not just a mental game. It's an emotional game because that's how we connect as people. Right. And so those that reach the highest level of performance are those that understand that both narratives can lie to us, which ones do we need to trust in which situations and which one needs to lead in which situations. And oh, by the way, how are we as each individual hardwired? I'm hardwired on the intellectual side. The emotional side is a learned practice. But without understanding that, I can't connect as deeply with my clients on an empathetic, compassionate and support place on when they're dealing with emotional type pain. I had to evolve there to really be able to holistically understand it. The other definition for peak performance that burned me was stress equals growth. <laughs> the more weight I lifted in the gym, the longer hours I worked, the more put, pressure I put into my life, the more things I committed to, the greater my capacity would grow, the greater my skill set would grow, the greater my strength would grow. And this was the case. I used to burn the candle at both ends. I'd sleep three or four hours a night. And I was like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That was literally how I was wired. Like I was a, a sleep shamer. Right. Like, oh, no, no. Like, you're not working hard enough. You don't need to be sleeping. Go, go, go hustle. Go do it. Every, right? inst every inst Instagram guy right now. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? It, it's, it's impossible to run at that speed genuinely. And I did for years. I mean, 15 years almost. I ran like that. But I also crashed and burned multiple times, like mm. hard. Right. And some of the health stuff that started to bubble into my life in my early 30s was a byproduct of running like that. I guarantee it. And so that equation has now evolved. If you look at longitudinal studies of peak performers, military, business, and sports, they look at sustained peak performers, 
and they look at intermittent peak performers. The singular difference between both categories is that the sustained peak performers treated their rest and recovery as as important as any of their training or work. So the new equation is stress plus rest equals growth. Hmm. When you go to the gym, you don't grow your muscles when you're lifting the weights, you grow the muscles when you're sleeping. Hmm. It's no different in life. It's no different with emotional growth. It's no different with intellectual growth. It's no different with business growth. growth. You need stress and rest to equal growth. And that's how you reach peak performance. <sighs> Man, <laughs> this is so good. If you're driving right now, you might want to do a little speed check. You might be driving a little over the speed limit because I know I would be. But to, to summarize there, uh, you said balancing the, the intellectual mindset or intellectual with the emotional and then stress plus rest equals growth. But from that first part, uh, how do you balance or switch between the two you know, like you said, you, you were obviously developed awareness knowing that you need to develop that emotional. So I guess that's the starting point, which we touched on at the start, but I guess if, if you're lost or you don't even really realize which one you lead with or whatnot, where, where do those folks start? Yeah. So I think most people probably know where they lead, right? Sure. I mean, think about it. You know, you know, empaths that are out in the world that'll cry with roadkill on the side of the road or like a commercial, like a, you know, a PETA commercial or whatever. I mean, and by the way, I don't say that with any negativity. My wife right. is one of those right. and I love it, right? Like, yeah. it's just, there are people who wear their hearts on the sleeves and feel before they think. Mm. And then there are people who think before they feel. It's almost that simple. Like, what's your default? Ask that question first. Mm. And, and, and it's not to say that we don't have the ability to do both. And oh, by the way, I don't know that there's any scientific research that says we're hardwired to do one or the other. I, that's my belief in interacting with a lot of people and studying people for the last 20 years. Like I genuinely believe people have a hardwire towards one as more dominant. And so you can even tell typically how people are hardwired based on the language they use, right? People who are hardwired intellectually will often ask you, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts about that? People who are hardwired on the emotional side are going to say, hey, how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. How did that make mm -hmm. you feel in that moment? Mm -hmm. Right? So you can hear even in the language. And by the way, that's also how you can more effectively communicate with other people is you start to pay attention to how they're hardwired. Use language that connects with them, but also use that as a tool to be able to pull out the other side of them. So for those people who have no idea where to start, I would say start by understanding where are you hardwired? Is it intellectual or emotional? And then pay attention to... Like how dynamic are you in the one you're not hardwired in, right? Are you, do you have emotional resiliency if you're hardwired intellectually? Do you have emotional maturity? Do you understand what they mean? Do you feel what other people feel? Or is it just sympathetic? You can recognize those emotions or do you not even, are you not even able to recognize those emotions, right? I think that's one of the things that we have to pay attention to. And then we've got to really understand again that, you know, our minds and our, our hearts both create false narratives. Oh, no doubt. We have to pay attention to those, right? Mm. That's what typically cripples people with fear is fabricated realities that are spun up by false narratives by one or the other. I guess one thing that's been very intriguing to me as we started this laser focus podcast is understand it. And you, you said it perfectly, the mind body connection, how the mind works and really understanding become becoming how you're, cause everybody's works differently and kind of, uh, that Asaroff book that I was talking about talks about the neuroplasticity and changing, yeah. yes, change, big word for me, <laughs> changing kind of like- Dude, you said it perfectly. I'm proud yeah, of you, Tom. Hey, as long as you say it with confidence, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's gonna know. So no, I guess like, 
how do you, or is there ways, is there somewhere people could start by, uh, or books that you could recommend or website, your website, like to kind of start to understand that? Because as I've been reading this book, I've been trying to be more aware of when these things creep in, right? For example, I, I talked it about it on the last podcast with Mike Diamond, uh, getting up in the morning is something I love that I Mike always Diamond, by yeah, the Mike, way. Mike Diamond's a beast. I love yeah, that. He and I are dude. collaborating on a couple stuff right now. He's I love that man. He's oh, so good. let's go. So yeah. we were talking about getting up in the morning, right? And yeah. getting up in the morning, I want to do it every day and I know how important it is, right? But I have that voice right when the alarm goes off. It's like, dude, you could be doing this workout later. And like, and then being aware of those things. So I think, like you said, to start this off for everybody is understanding how your brain's working and why it's trying to push you to comfort at all times. So I just, where can people start to kind of get more information on that? Obviously we're going to be trying to share stuff like that, but maybe there's a, a book or a lesson somewhere that, that people could start learning from that you know of. Yeah. So, um, there's not a singular place. Yeah, of course. Uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, I, I would tell you that there are practices that can help hone this for people mm -hmm. without even needing to do further research. So I would say sit in silence for a few minutes, try to meditate, mm -hmm. right? That is all about mind-body connection. It's try to journal a little bit. It's a very cathartic process and it allows your mind and your feelings to actually connect pen to paper in certain ways. So those are like really tactical ways to go about it. Sure. Um, you know, I would definitely tell you that there are practitioners that can help people specifically with that. That's one of the things that I obviously help guide people through is really better understanding who they are, how they're wired, like the level of awareness, both intellectually and emotionally and creating that connection. Uh, you know, a lot of my morning routine, this is what's funny is, is all based around that. I mean, just like Mike Diamond. I mean, I know his routine. He and I've talked about it extensively. Yeah. You know, he and I are both 4 a.m. risers, right? 3.30, 4am risers. And the biggest reason is because that's the only time of day that I have 100% control of my time. It's the only time of day that nobody's connecting with me and so, or reaching out to me or need something from me. And so I get to focus mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally on myself for the first two to three hours of my day to really center and cali uh, calibrate myself to who I am so that I can carry the weight of the world that is requiring me to carry the weight. Reality of it is just because you can carry the weight doesn't mean it's not heavy. And so if I don't go through those reps every single day to prepare myself, center myself, calibrate myself, then I can't have that mind-body connection because too many things cloud, cloud it. Um, it's just like you know, I will tell you that I, I say that again. I was going to say, it's just like hitting the weights. You got to practice it every day or it, it is, it is. And you know, I, I, I dropped this quick thing on embrace pain to avoid suffering, but let me, I, I'm not going to go deep on it, but I'll just give a couple of examples, right? Because when you're clear on who you are, you're absolutely clear on where you want to head, but you also understand and can acknowledge the suffering you wish to avoid. It becomes a lot easier because you're focusing on two sides of the same coin. So you will start to understand that translating thought intent into action, you start to shorten that curve. So this idea of embracing pain to avoid suffering, you know, you can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the aches and pains and suffering of a sedentary lifestyle. You can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of being stuck in a loveless marriage that might end in divorce or being stuck in a marriage when you really want divorce. You can embrace the pain of the fit your kids are sure to throw by having them put down their mobile device at the dinner table to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and communication that you'll never get back. Mm -hmm. As business owners, we can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson that's contributing the top line growth to the most to avoid the suffering of stagnant growth and losing all our other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in our culture. And the list goes on, right? So when you mm -hmm. think to yourself, it's like, oh, I could do it later. Yeah, you could do it later, but you could also do it now, right? Mm -hmm. I look at this like we only have one shot in life. Like there's an element of giving grace if you're tired, fatigued, not able to actually perform at the level that you need to. But there's also an element of like consistency and routine that allows that mind-body connection to better foster if you're doing the right practices. 
So for me, right, my first part of the day, I have 30 minutes of quiet time sitting in meditation, absolute connecting my mind and my body. It's the very first thing I do because dreamwave states are very similar to meditative states. So it's very easy to get myself into a heightened state of consciousness. From there, I'm going to journal, I'm going to read, I'm going to funnel things into my body. And then based on my own physiology, I have to do a pretty extensive amount of body work, percussion therapy, stretching and training every single day, just to keep myself at baseline in terms of a physical pain standpoint. Well, I have to do all those things. Those all allow me to calibrate myself, connect my mind body. And so that's what I would say for each individual. What are the ways that you can calm down your mind, calm down your emotions, be still enough to listen to what they're both telling you? Did you hear that laser focus? Get your ass up in the morning. Still is time, still is time of the day. Um, I know, so, I know we're coming up yeah. at time here, Brian, and I, I wish we could, you know, spend all night talking with you and picking your brain because I got two full sheets of notes here. And I know our listeners probably have more than that as well. But lastly, you know, where can they find you and where they, can they connect with you? Yeah. So uh, easiest place is brianboger.com. It's a website that's got everything there. All our social handles at Bogert Brian are connected to there. Uh, you know, we talked about impacting a billion lives. What you'll see is that the only way to do that is 99.9999999% will never pay us a dollar, which I'm completely okay with. Okay. Those that will gravitate towards and invest in our services further will more than substantiate our ability to impact a billion lives. So what I, why I say that is you're going to see a lot of free content on our site, places that we've been published like Forbes and other places, a lot of our YouTube material, it, we have a regular and consistent flow of things that are designed literally to elevate and empower everybody around us. They're not pitches 98% of the time, right? It's literally designed just to give value and content. So one of the other ways that I'll do that is go to nolimitsprelude.com. It's a succinct download of a lot of our um, coaching philosophies in a really bite-sized format to ask those same intrinsic questions for yourself, right? Who am I? Asking some of those questions that you need to really pay attention to around purpose and where you're headed um, to be able to start to learn who you are better with more clarity and which pains you need to embrace along your journey to success. So um, those are all free for you. And if that's all you need, take them and run. Um, <laughs> and all I would ask is if you take them and run, just pay it forward and make sure if you learn something from it, you share it so that people can also benefit from a similar message. Beautiful. Well, well said. And you know, a lot of people say practice what you preach, but this guy right here preaches what he practices and that's rare. So thank you so much for the time, Brian. Brian really appreciate you. it. Um, you got anything else to say? Hey, go out there and make impact, everybody. Know yourself, know your purpose. It starts in you. Thanks a lot, Brian. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. See you.